Hello, I am Teresa Smith, and today I speak to Simon Igoforce about the company Pyrogenesis. Simon is the CEO and co-founder of Pyrogenesis and the co-inventor of the concept Pyrochemy, which is the waste-to-energy containerized technology that simultaneously converts agricultural waste to renewable electricity while processing heat and biofuels. Welcome to the ESI Africa podcast, brought to you by your trusted power and energy multimedia journal. You can download this and all other episodes on esi-africa.com forward slash podcasts. Let's get into today's conversation. Hello, Simon. Welcome to the ESI Africa podcast. Hi, Teresa. Okay, so you are... Uh, the CEO of Pyrogenesis, which, if I understand correctly, is a bioenergy, biomass, and biofuels technology developer and service provider. So you use a containerized waste-to-energy technology that uses pyrolysis to convert agricultural and food processing waste to renewable electricity, process heat, and solid and liquid biofuels. So let's just go right back to the beginning. Pyrolysis, it doesn't mean simply burning waste. So could you please explain what that concept of pyrolysis is? Because that is what sets your company apart from any other biofuels company. Certainly. Thank you very much, Teresa. So pyrolysis is an advanced thermal technology. It heats combustible materials to between five to 700 degrees Celsius in a reactor where there is no air present. And that's really important because without oxygen or air, that material cannot burn. So in the name pyrolysis, pyrolysis, pyro means fire or heat, and lysis means to separate. Another example you may have heard of is hydrolysis, hydrolysis, meaning water separation, which when you put sugar in a glass of water, hydrolysis separates it into a solution. So our patented pyrochemy technology, it separates combustible materials into a hydrocarbon vapor and a highly porous solid carbon, which is called biochar. So what pyrogenesis does with our patented uh, pyrochemy technology is we use the hydrocarbon vapors that it produces in the following ways. We use those vapors as a fuel to generate renewable electricity and heat. Okay. Alternatively, we can condense those vapors to produce a hydrocarbon liquid called bio oil or pyrolysis oil, which we've developed a method for upgrading that to renewable liquid biofuels. And those biofuels typically are renewable kerosene for use in jet A1 or cooking stoves uh, and diesel because they're all hydrocarbon chain molecules. And you're just upcycling Um, them. Yes. So we're upcycling the hydrocarbons in the waste um, to these much more useful um, products. Uh, With the highly porous um, solid biochar, that solid carbon, uh, we infuse that with nutrients. And that makes a really good biofertilizer, which we've trademarked with the name Nutrichar. Okay. So when uh, we can then 
So from the farmers uh, collecting the waste from the farmers, we can then convert that back into this biofertilizer, which we can then sell back to them. And when they apply nutrichar to their soil, it um, that effectively, uh, well, first of all, it increases the soil carbon content, which makes the soil much more fertile because organic carbon content in the soil, uh, if it becomes depleted, the soils become infertile. So when you're just using chemical fertilizers, which don't have any carbon in them, and then you're removing the carbon that the plants have produced, you're stripping the carbon out of that soil. So over time, they become infertile. And that's what happened in America in the Dust Bowl in the 30s, and they couldn't yeah. grow anything. Okay. Um, it sounds like, I'm sorry, but this is a very South African thing. I'm just thinking Nutribullet, which is a um, yeah. little machine you oh, use yeah. to um, mix up your... I know the ones, make yeah. smoothies. Yes. Yeah. Smoothies. Well, yeah, yeah. smoothies are about, you know, replenishing all the things that your body's wasting, um, missing. So yeah, you're, you're kind of doing the same thing. Why are you throwing there? that stuff away? Yeah. Exactly. You know, this is good. You shouldn't be throwing it away. You should be retaining it and, and consuming it. So, yeah, we're putting all the good stuff, the, the carbon, back into the uh, soil. And when you put carbon back into the soil, um, you've effectively broken the carbon cycle because the plants have a role to play in this process. So plants, fantastic, much more efficient than anything that human beings have developed for removing carbon dioxide from air. They suck it into their leaves and with nutrients and sunlight and water. They convert it into carbohydrates, which we typically eat. And so um, when these carbohydrates uh, degrade, you know, either the plant dies and rots or we've eaten it and it degrades, you know, um, that then converts back into carbon dioxide or even worse still, methane, which is 25 times more polluting than carbon dioxide for greenhouse gases. Um, so it just keeps on going round and round. Um, but what we do is that we say, oh, hold on a second, we're going to heat up this material. We're going to convert it into this uh, solid porous uh, carbon. And uh, then the farmers are going to put that in their soil. And, you know, if you dig up coal, it's been there for millions of years. Okay. So the experts uh, all agree that biochar, when put, when sequestered, when carbon is sequestered into soil in the form of biochar, it's going to rem it's going to remove carbon from the environment for at least a hundred years, if not over a thousand. So that's carbon removal, and we only stumbled across this, uh, you know, within the last kind of like year to eighteen months that actually our technology is perfect for this. Okay. And as a carbon removal system, that's eligible for carbon credits. It so is. farmers can now become carbon farmers. So African farmers can now solve the global climate change crisis by converting their waste through pyrolysis into carbon, which we can upgrade into a biofertilizer, which they can then produce their own fertilizers locally rather than sending their hard-earned foreign exchange back to the West. Uh, we can produce our own uh, biofertilizers in Africa, you know, from our own waste and then put that into the soil and the West can now buy our carbon credits. Okay, setting up the ultimate sustainable little circle. Yep, a circular economy. That's new to chart for you. So in our opinion, in our humble opinion, Teresa, burning any combustible material is a waste of a valuable resource, which our patented pyrochemy technology could convert into higher value products and uh, you know, a, a, a case for fighting climate change. Okay. So now what is the actual physical size of the system that you are talking about? When you say containerized, do you mean in the sense of the thing is in a contained shell 
or do you mean it is the size of a PX container that goes on the back of a truck? Okay, I, I know them as ISO shipping containers. If you visit our um, process page on our website, uh, you'll see a photograph of our pilot pyrochemy pyrolysis system, which is housed in a 20 foot ISO shipping container. I will send you an image of that so you can share it with uh, your listeners uh, so that they can see it on your website. Um, containerization makes our pyrochemy unit modular and easy to transport on the back of a truck or a ship. Okay, And it's meant to be like that. Um, that containerized design enables rapid deployment of our pyrochemy system anywhere in the world um, where a truck carrying a shipping container can go. So as long as the road is good enough, we can get to your village, we should be able to carry one of these systems and plonk it down there. And that will be ready to convert your underutilized farming waste into the electricity that you never had because there was no grid coming to your community anytime soon. Um, However, our commercial pyrochemy systems are going to be bigger than the 20-foot container you see in, um, on the website. And they will be housed, uh, they'll be more powerful, um, uh, you know, uh, generating at least 100 kilowatts uh, up to a half megawatt. And they'll be housed in a 40-foot shipping container. Okay. So, so still fit on the back of a truck. The, the one that's on the back of a truck, um, in terms of if that's something that can actually produce electricity, how much electricity are we talking about um, in a day, in a week, in a year? Yeah. So the starting uh, size for the commercial units is 100 kilowatts. Um, so um, typically to put that into scale, uh, I know in, in um, Nigeria, for instance, they consume about 140 kilowatt hours per year. Okay, per person. So that's the per capita energy consumption. Places like Uganda, it's only like 50 to 60 kilowatt hours per person per year. Um, so 100 kilowatts running 24 hours a day is 2,400 kilowatts. Okay, so if one person on average in Nigeria consumes 140 kilowatt hours per year, and we're producing two and a half thousand kilowatt hours in a day, you could power an entire village of about 5,000 Nigerians using one of our systems. In South Africa, you have a much higher um, per capita, I think it's about two and a half thousand kilowatt hours per, per person. So one, uh, one South African would use up <laughs> one <could> year. <laughs> one of us, all the electricity that our system produces in a day could keep one South African going for a whole year. Still an interesting number. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, so when yeah. it when it comes to um, a biomass um, company, any company that uses biomass, feedstock is really important. So, what kinds mm -hmm. of feedstock can your tech handle? And then, is it only electricity production? Because I I, I would think um, actual heat being the first thing that you make that could be something that could be used as well. So, what's the feedstock, Correct. and what is the thing at that can then be pushed out right so the feedstock is anything that burns and anything that burns is typically a hydrocarbon yeah yeah uh, and we like uh we prefer um you know our focus has always been on um energy access uh for rural communities especially but also for agri-processors which typically need to be located in rural areas because they need access to lots of raw material grown by those rural smallholding uh, farming communities. So if it burns, uh, 
we can pyrolyze it. Um, that includes in, say, like urban areas, you know, you've got uh, the organic fraction of uh, municipal waste, for instance. So my co-founder, if you Google him, Dr. Joseph Ecke, has done a lot of um, published, you know, peer-reviewed uh, articles in eminent journals uh, on how to, you know, sort and, uh, you know, treat and then pyrolyze the organic fraction of municipal wastes. Um, now, when a waste contains chlorinated compounds, that can create problems, uh, which we can resolve because the chlorine in that waste, uh, when you heat it up in our process, can produce hydrochloric acid, and that can typically eat through steel. You can have certain steel alloys that are more resistant to acidic or corrosive environments. That's one way you can blend the material so it's got less, the, the concentration is lower and it's not such a problem. So there's a number of different ways we can deal with problematic wastes. But anything that burns typically, including plastic, of course, plastic is a very um, clean, uniform hydrocarbon. So, you know, if it doesn't have chlorine in it, yeah, we can blend it together with agricultural waste. And, uh, you know, and then the, the fuel that it generates for us, those vapors. Uh, so we can either just, uh, yes, the first thing that we can do easily is just combust that and produce heat. So this is where agri-processors, for instance, uh, in Nigeria, you've got uh, cassava um, flour mills or cassava starch mills or oil palm uh, producing mills. They need a lot of heat for their process and they produce a lot of the waste that our system can convert into that heat. And they typically also use quite a lot of electricity. So then yes, we would generate electricity as well. If there's a surplus waste, um, so say like you're an off-grid community and you don't have any industry or anything that's um, you know nearby, uh, it would make more sense for you to generate the electricity that your community needs. And then the surplus waste that you've got, our system would then produce the vapor, which we can condense into that bio-oil I was telling you about, upgrade that bio-oil to kerosene and diesel, renewable kerosene and diesel. And now you've just produced a commodity. So you've added value to your underutilized waste. And you can now become an exporter of biofuels as a rural community. And this term we have coined for that is rural industrialization. It means now smallholder farming communities who didn't have anything to do with their waste apart from leave it to rot or burn it, uh, but they've got to clear it off their fields. Otherwise, it attracts um, you know, parasites and pathogens which decimate their next season's crop. So they have to clear it off the fields and get rid of it somehow safely. So our system definitely would provide that and then it would also give them now a commodity that can be exported and then at the same time they're producing this um, biochar which as i said we can infuse with nutrients and it's a biofertilizer which when they put back into their soil bingo we've got carbon removal and now um, you know things like cop 26 and cop 27 have made big commitments to carbon removal technologies uh, there's a lot of people, I think they pledged $164 trillion to pay for climate change mitigation. So these communities can now get a slice of that very big pie and say, come and finance our you know, en energy access, uh, biofertilizer production, and our commodity production, uh, rural industrialization infrastructure, please. And because we're going to use the carbon credits generated from putting carbon back into our soils uh, as carbon removal, that generates carbon credits. So we can now start structuring projects that bring all of that circular economy together to 
actually invest in these rural communities where nobody previously would have looking at investing in them. Because first of all, they don't even have a credit rating. But once they start buying electricity, guess what? They develop a credit rating. So when you were talking about part of your excess could be converted into a bioliquid that could then be upcycled into the kerosene or the diesel, are you talking also about being able to, what gets used in clean cooking stoves? Those kind of bioliquids, creating those liquids um, as well. That's right, Teresa. Yeah, um, you know, the kerosene, the renewable kerosene that we produce, um, kerosene stoves, um, there's no adaptation that's required in a standard kerosene cooking stove. That uh, kerosene stove into something that's using a renewable fuel, at least. Um, the uh, clean cooking stoves normally are based on the way they combust the fuel uh, as a clean cooking stove design. So uh, um, the ideal fuel that could be used for that is the biochar. Yeah, because the biochar um, is, uh, you know, effectively you have removed the smoke from the charcoal in our process. So it now becomes a smokeless charcoal, which if you combine a smokeless charcoal with a clean cooking stove design, you have the ultimate clean cooking um, situation, which will probably, uh, in, you know, increase the number of carbon credits that clean cooking stoves um, can earn because you're now also using a sustainable and uh, underutilized waste rather than using firewood um, as your initial uh, fuel. Yeah. So clean cooking stoves are normally, because they're more efficient, you use less firewood, therefore, you know, you're creating less of an impact. But if you're using a complete waste as your fuel and it doesn't produce smoke because our processes remove the smoke, then that really is a much cleaner process than whatever fuel you would be burning in your clean cooking stove in a much more efficient way. So you are working in four different um, locations on four different kinds of pilot projects. Uh, which places are you working That's in? That's correct. So Nigeria is our primary market initially. And the reason, uh, you know, we're working in Nigeria is, um, I mean, uh, my father is from Nigeria, so I'm dual heritage. Uh, my mother's from Scotland. Uh, so it made a lot of sense. My co-founder, Dr. Joseph Eki, is also of Nigerian heritage. Uh, we both educated in the UK, in uh, Aston University, that's where we met. And, you know, for us, we intuited that Nigeria is facing concerning energy access. We had networks, we had an understanding of how to, you know, try and get in there and what type of problems to solve using our technology. So, um, you know, it, it made sense. Um, I'd love to come to South Africa, you know, once, uh, you know, the company's developed sufficient traction, um, you know, so that we've got the resources to now um, branch out and that's you know like on our top three of where to go next i want to ask you about the other three places but i want to point out in south africa i think your tech would really work very well on a municipal level actually because mm -hmm. um so sorting municipal waste mm -hmm. we've got this um law coming in um, faster now in the western cape by 2025 uh but it's gonna be um introduced across South Africa eventually as well. Right now, we will not be able to put organic waste into landfills from 2025. So what are we going to do with it? And that I think is something that your technology would actually solve. Uh, okay, yeah. So the organic fraction of that municipal waste that goes into landfill, <coughs> pardon me, typically um, is converted by the microorganism 
people who are decomposing that organic waste into greenhouse gases like methane, which are 25 times more potent than carbon into the organic fraction um, and living materials or road construction. Um, and you can't do anything with it, then you'd send that to landfill. So this is the, you know, I mentioned earlier about my uh, co-founder, Dr. Joseph Ecke, in those uh, period articles that he's published, those are some of the issues that he actually grapples with in those articles, because you have to have a commercially viable and efficient separation technology uh, that handles that waste, separating it into its different um, fractions. And then the organic fraction would then be, yes, what you could ideally send to pyrolysis for upgrading that the economy can then utilize and you can build whole value chains on the back of that. Yeah, I think that there definitely is a conversation to be had around that. Yeah, so this is why pyrosis is an amazing technology. Everybody's saying, you know, well, how come it hasn't arrived yet? It actually has. If you see people using a vape, that's actually a mini pyrosis reactor. Okay, so you're carrying a tiny one around with you. Not that I'm promoting vaping, <laughs> by the way. Please but don't try tech. it, kids. Yeah. yeah, the tech is actually pyrolysis. Sorry that it has to be used in that way. So it's Nigeria is the one. Where are the other three places you're already working in? Um, we've had projects well, th that we've already delivered in Ethiopia, uh, a very large population, uh, real requirement for energy access, a lot of agricultural production, that could definitely benefit from this type of waste. Um, and then we also ran a project in Sierra Leone and Liberia. And this was both, both of those projects we ran during COVID. So, um, you know, we had a project that was in Nigeria that kind of, you know, was just coming to an end as COVID was hitting. Those two we had to run during COVID. And what was great was that we had really good in-country partners that helped us to deliver on the ground in those countries. Um, so that allowed us to evaluate the market and the application and where it would be best placed uh, in those countries and the scale of the market as well. We haven't been able to really get back there yet. Um, and we haven't had any projects yet in South Africa. We'd love to love to do that. So places like yeah, South Africa, Kenya. Um, but we have had announced uh, two new projects. One in the, the one that I was talking about that's going to start up in Nigeria in the new year. And another one, interestingly enough, in Indonesia. And Indonesia is quite um, similar in certain ways to um, Sub-Saharan Africa in that I think it has about 14,000 islands, only about 5,000 which are inhabited. But some of those islands are so remote that the price of diesel in those locations is like $12 a litre. And they generate electricity using diesel generators. So you can imagine, yeah, and they grow a lot of rice. I think it's the sec world's second largest producer of rice. So... Um, our project there will be looking at using their waste rice straw, which is a real problem because they tend to burn it and then it causes this really, you know, real pollution. Um, and so, you know, converting that rice straw waste into renewable electricity uh, and displacing diesel gensets is the whole idea of that project. So, you know, it has a lot of similarities with um, Sub-Saharan Africa okay. in terms of the agricultural communities. Yeah. So I've seen um, mini grids mentioned in relation to electricity um, that could be generated from your um, technology. So are we talking a mini grid in some far, far flung place? So basically it's an off grid system or would it be tied into a, a grid? Um, you can have both because, uh, okay. you know, what we're doing is power generation. 
Um, it's just how much headache and, you know, what's the business case at the end of the day? Ah. Yeah. Yeah. It, it always comes down to somebody who has to have a business case. Yeah. Uh, and then the sizing, um, it's really about, well, how big is the containerized system then and what can it produce? And that'll tell you then how much electricity could eventually come from it and how big or small the amount of yeah. energy and how, then is. And how much waste is available. So, you know, ah, typically to run a commercial scale system, yeah. So going back to the feedstock, you know, six tons a day will give you like a 100 kilowatt system. Six tons a day would give you a 100 kilowatt. Yeah, kilowatts is the power output. And then the amount of energy that's generated is, yeah, that power. So 100 kilowatts times one hour gives you 100 kilowatt hours. Yeah. yeah so yeah. a day you're going to get 2,400 kilowatt hours. Okay. Okay. And kilowatt hours is what we as electricity consumers typically pay for. And that's where one South African typically you know, consumes in one year about 2,500 kilowatt hours. Yeah. So the consumption of a typical South African in one year is the amount of energy our system will provide in a single day. Okay. So some of the issues that face um, the bioenergy industry um, in Africa as a whole, it's um, issues like technical deficiencies, it's uh, the lack of adequate infrastructure, low economic budget on the part of the potential off-taker or the potential maker of this energy, um, and sadly, a low biogas yield, if you're really thinking about how much effort is going into this. So how are you, through your system, addressing these issues? Yeah, they're challenging, aren't they? So, yeah, I think one thing that, uh, yeah, <laughs> Nigerians have a reputation, not just in Africa, but, you know, worldwide. And that reputation it comes from, you know, uh, the environment uh, in Nigeria it means you have to, everybody's got a side job. Everybody's got something else going. They don't have just one main job. And it's because the environment conditions people not to become too dependent on any one thing. So you have to find multiple ways of generating, you know, income to, to survive in a country like Nigeria. Uh, I've been conditioned by that uh, ecosystem, if you like, you know, having grown up there for a while, worked there also. Um, and um, so as a chemical engineer uh, and my co-founder, who's, a, as I said, also of Nigerian heritage, um, we understood that you don't just solve one problem. You don't just generate electricity. And sell electricity because how much electricity is somebody in a rural community going to use not enough to justify the capital expense of putting that infrastructure in there unless you've got 20 years to wait for the payback right so how what other ways can we generate income and i've just been talking about biofuels the you know, bio coming into your business model that's when you can find okay we have a commercially viable because we've got off takers for the electricity We've got off-takers for the heat, we've got off-takers for the fuel, we've got off-takers for the fertilizer, and we've got off-takers for the carbon credits. So there's five different income streams from just one venture. Yeah, and that's what makes pyrosis technology really well suited to the situation that you're going to find in most rural communities, or even you know any country, and now even the UK, which is you know companies uh, registered in the UK. Now that gas prices have gone through the roof and energy is becoming you know more expensive than it is in sub-saharan africa so um 
it, it's funny. We got all our funding to create energy access in sub-Saharan Africa. And now the UK is begging us to come and bring it to the UK. Like, hello, through, come show us. Um, having multiple income streams. Yeah, yeah, that's it. We need heat. We can't rely on gas because there's problems there. Um, yeah, if you're dependent on importing fuel uh, to generate your energy, whether that be in heat or electricity, um, you know, this is one way of solving that problem. And then if you produce waste that is combustible, um, and you know, if you if you do agriculture, then you've got all the right things coming together to generate all those different income streams that a financier looks at and says, yeah, we can actually make money. Okay. Now, um, you I heard about you through the Energy Catalyst program. So how have they been helping you yeah. with your business development? Well, a catalyst, um, sorry, being a chemical engineer, we use catalysts. Um, and a catalyst is something that you can add to a reaction that speeds up the reaction. So that reaction could take you easily a whole week to produce what you're after. And what you're after typically is something of great value, much higher value than the reagents and the materials that you're bringing together to. So you bring a material together with a reagent in a chemical reaction, it produces something of far higher value. Now, in the oil industry, they learned this very well. So the petrochemical industry is based on catalysis. And so they were able to take crude oil and turn it into all this myriad of products, which if you remove crude oil from the equation, the entire global economy would collapse because the clothes that you're wearing, the paints, the plastics, everything in your life wouldn't just wouldn't exist yeah, without these chemical reactions that produce these products. So catalyst speeds up the process and also make sure that it gives you what you actually want catalyst can be specific so energy catalyst is speeding up the process of bringing these fantastic technologies to market so our technology is in the process of being proven because we have received funding from the energy catalyst program we can be um, renewable electricity another one is testing the renewable heat another project is testing the renewable fuels yeah. Uh, another one is testing the biofertilizers. They have to have a specific focus. And then it also invests in innovative business models. And it also invests in building value chains. So in each of these projects, we're building a value chain. We're creating and demonstrating that there is an ecosystem that is commercially viable because the financiers in this world who have this wall of money, and it really is a wall of money, there's trillions of dollars waiting to be invested if they can find bankable projects. But they need, a bankable project needs something that's proven, that they can see, yeah, we've seen this uh, technology work, it's great, you know, it, it keeps running, doesn't break down. And uh, the people who are running it know what they're doing. You know, if we put our money there, we're gonna get profits back to, you know, X plus whatever percent. Um, so Energy Catalyst helps, you know, provide the resources that creates the ecosystem that demonstrates that to the world. And um, so then technologies like ours and, you know, technology developers like us that are trying to bring these uh, solutions to market now have the support that we need to showcase. Yeah, you know, it works. Here it is. Here's an example. So that's the first thing they'll ask you when you're going to ask them for money for a loan or finance of any type. Uh, can you show us a working example of this, please? You know, uh, oh, so now once we've got these projects up and running, we'll be able to say, yes, come along to our demonstration site in, you know, uh, Ibadan or in Kano or hopefully somewhere in South Africa in the future. 
So energy catalysts typically funds consortia. And those consortia are like a value chain that now has all the resources to play all their different parts. So in our um, energy catalyst uh, round eight project, uh, uh, one of our partners is a cassava flour mill. They produce the waste, they need the heat, they need the electricity. So that's, uh, we have two projects uh, you know, based with them. One is producing uh, the renewable um, electricity heat, and the other one is producing the biofilms. Yeah. So um, in that consortia is also a hydrocarbon reseller who wants the biofuels because they distribute that to their uh, retail outlets. Okay. Uh, there's also an um, uh, uh, an agricultural um, what, what do you call it uh, the service provider. So they uh, uh, assist with cultivate all the agricultural inputs and all the mechanized agriculture to cultivate and then to harvest and then to collect the material that we then need uh, to feed the system with. You know, you've got our manufacturing partner who helped us to build the system, who's now helping us to, um, you know, upscale that to the commercial scale. We've got um, Aston University who helped us to develop the method for upgrading the bio oil into the kerosene and the diesel. So you can see how this is an ecosystem mm -hmm. and a value chain that's coming together um, that is now being resourced to actually function as a value chain. Um, and then that is an excellent example of like, yeah, you can see the business model works and you can see the technology works. You can see the whole value chain working. So the next thing is that that's when the financiers get interesting and say, how many of these can you install in a year? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if we put, the, if we throw this much money at it, can you install, you know, X number of systems? And in that project, um, our ambition is that within three years, we've evaluated a hundred installation sites um, so that we've done the business case at each site to see, you know, is there a business case at each location across a hundred locations? So that's also the market research element. Uh, one of our other partners I shouldn't miss out is, um, you know, they are providing uh, cashless payments. You, even if you have a featureless mobile phone, you know, just using SMX texts, you should be able to pay for your electricity. So that if you're a consumer of electricity, you know, you can, you know, uh, you can you can access you've got energy access you, that you can pay for using your mobile phone. So that tells you about an excellent example of a new ecosystem. And that's what energy catalyst is really good at doing. It resources that well, first of all, you go through a very competitive process. You're bidding against hundreds of other companies or, or teams rather. And uh, the energy catalyst process evaluates all of these different teams and then selects the ones that they think have got the best chance of getting the technology working and then having a support mechanism that can bring that technology to market. So, I mean, hats, if it wasn't for energy catalyst, you know, we wouldn't be where we are now. Um, because it's very tough to get resources uh, in a very risk-averse environment, especially when investors and financiers, what they want to see is a working system. They don't want to be part of the journey to, 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 fix, to find out if it doesn't work. But because it's taxpayers' money that Energy Catalyst uses, the taxpayers saying, look, if this creates a new technology which comes to market, it's going to create a whole new industry that's going to generate massive amounts of economic growth. Uh, there's going to be jobs locally um, in, in the UK for building these machines, but there's also going to be jobs for the people that we've got to create in uh, places that we're going to be operating. So in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, if it was uh, Nigeria or South Africa, I'm going to recruit local people and train them 
how to operate this equipment and how to maintain it because I'm not going to fly people over from the UK yeah, to do that. Okay, so it now links our economies in a mutually beneficial way. Yeah, and uh, this is now where we come into like, yes, we're talking about industrialization. We industrialize Africa. What do we need to industrialize Africa? We need access to reliable, affordable, renewable, sustainable energy. And we need the mechanisms to convert our primary uh, raw materials into higher value products that we can then export and people can pay us foreign exchange for. Yeah. And that starts with our carbon credits. So just for converting our waste into the fertilizer that our farmers then put back into their own soil, it might not, it won't have moved more than two kilometers and we won't have had to ship it out of the country. We can generate, you know, income in the form of dollars, euros or pounds. Yeah. Mm, okay. So Energy Catalyst recognized that we were onto something. That's why they gave us all the money that they've done so far. And we're going to make very good use of it and uh, hopefully make them proud and show that, you know, um, you know we've got, uh, we, we think this is a great idea. Every country should be doing something like uh, what the UK government is doing with Energy Catalyst, for sure. So that, that's such a lovely explanation of what Energy Catalyst actually does. So let's leave it there. Thank you, Simon, uh, for taking the time to explain what pyrogenesis is and what pyrolysis is. And I look forward to finding out what you guys do next. Thank you, Teresa. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you for having me on your show. Really appreciate it. And, you know, uh, really, uh, I think your listeners uh, are blessed uh, to be able to have access to, you know, this kind of information. Because, yeah, you know, when we started, very few people understood that there were technologies that were this powerful and can solve so many problems simultaneously. So we need to get the word out. Um, you know, there is a solution. It's in the making. And we're just one. There are many others. Um, so hopefully we're going to have a much better world to live in uh, very soon. You have been listening to an ESI Africa podcast. For the latest news, reports and interviews on power, energy and related industries, visit the ESI Africa website on esi-africa.com or follow us on social media. Until next time, thank you for tuning in.